Well, good morning. It's good to have you here, and it's good to be together as God's uh, family and church put together here uniquely in Calgary for such a time as this. And one of the things that I know you've become accustomed to is uh, just kind of what, what I've loosely called, I'm still waiting for a good proposition to replace my phrase of Skyview Talk Time. Uh, this is more than just a novel idea. It's an opportunity for us as a community to hear what God is doing in the life of others. And this morning, I'd like to invite uh, Jen and Sarah to come. And uh, these are two young ladies in our community who uh, have ministry hearts. Um, they uh, are going to share a little bit about one of the ministries they are involved in, and then we'll hear a little bit of personal testimony. Now, I feel a little intimidated. I'm sitting down here, and you're up there, so I'll try to raise myself a little bit. But uh, if, you would, <laughs> if you would be as kind just to kind of introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself, perhaps uh, what you're currently doing, uh, your connection here with Skyview, and, uh, and in particular, uh, Pioneer Camp. Cool. So my name is Sarah. Um, I've been coming to Skyview, although some of you may not believe it, <laughs> for the past five years. Um, I just finished my undergrad, and I'm going back um, to school in the fall. Uh, and I, I'm currently working at the outdoor center at UFC and getting out into the mountains and on rivers as much as possible. Um, as far as Pioneer Camp, I'm helping to co-direct senior girls. It's a two-week-long camp for girls between ages 12 and 17. And my name's Jen. Um, I've been coming to Skyview for probably about three years. I don't really keep track of these things. Um, I work at Foothills uh, in the health records department, so that's what I do for life. And uh, I'm part of the director team for senior girls. And our third co-director is down at the front. We dragged her along today. So there's three of us that are directing this uh, two-week-long, it's actually an all-girls camp. Uh, So it's a little bit different dynamic, but... Um, well, you can hold that microphone. I've got my own. Um, but why don't you tell us a little bit just about Pioneer Camp itself. Uh, perhaps who is the target audience? I know you've already said girls, so no guys, sorry. Um, my daughter was privileged to go a couple of years ago and had a fantastic time. But could you talk a little bit perhaps just about the vision of the camp and who it's for? Sure. It's sort of twofold. Um, Alberta Pioneer Camps, I'll read the vision statement because it's pretty good. Um, the vision for... Alberta Pioneer Camp, so bigger than just the camp that Sarah and I are involved in, is uh, uh, the, through exploring God's creation, Alberta Pioneer Camps seeks to demonstrate Christ's love, grow disciples, and cultivate leaders for the sake of the kingdom. Uh, that's the overarching vision that we work under. Um, and who Alberta Pioneer Camps is geared towards is everyone, actually. We run camps all the way from grade 1 to grade 12, uh, co-ed, not co-ed, um, Adventure camping, recreational camping, everyone. Um, for senior girls specifically, again, it's two-week camp for just girls. Um, and we actually have a focus on adventure. Uh, we have a two-week time span, and we actually take five days and go out into creation, either with uh, horseback riding or canoeing or hiking. Uh, and with our youngest girls, we just do a base camp to let them experience creation. So um, it's really interesting dynamic. And uh, senior girls specifically is probably geared towards uh, women who have a little bit of an adventurous spirit because we we do a few crazy things. So it's it's pretty sweet. Yeah, I'll just jump on that. It's definitely not for the faint of heart, but if you do have a faint heart, it'll be strengthened for sure as long as you're up for it. (laughs) Well, thank you, Sarah, for that contribution. I appreciate that. 
Um, one of the, I think, the, the most important things for us as followers of Christ is we believe we lead out of uh, how God is working in our life and how He's leading us. And uh, none of these opportunities or talk times is complete without just hearing uh, what is God doing in your life right now. And, and uh, I know there's much you can share, but perhaps just one particular thought or idea. I guess I'll take the hint that I'll go first. Um, I plan ahead. That's why I get to go first. Um, it's true. It's true. It's true. We complement each other's strengths well, so it's good. Sorry, what was the question? <laughs> what is God doing in your life right now? Uh, yeah. uh, actually, he's been teaching me quite a lot. Um, one thing for me as a quieter, more reserved person is I actually don't often live into my gifts and my passions. Um, for a long time, I was like, oh, I don't have any passions. But I've sort of been being taught that um, what I do at camp is actually a passion and not just something I do and something I enjoy. So he's actually been teaching me a lot about how to live into the gifts that I reluctantly sometimes accept that I've been given, um, but live into those and live into the passions and just uh, help to influence people. Um, yeah, and just not to be afraid of that, I think, is a big thing. Uh, so I was interested by your sermon title. I was like, oh, he's going to talk about fear. <laughs> that works really well. Um, but yeah, just how to live into that, into those places. So. And then for myself, um, I would say I've recently come to the end of kind of a, or hopefully the end, um, a bit of a drought with God. So uh, feeling a fairly significant difference or a uh, distance um, and it was different from what I'd experienced in the past. And so recognizing when you're kind of, when you feel this distance, um, it's really important to have a solid foundation to revert back to. And so not being legalistic and saying like, oh, this is what we have to do or this is what you're, we're supposed to do, but more having this foundation that you're like, oh, I'm not being led in each moment or I feel like I'm not being led by the Holy Spirit in each of these moments, but I know that I have this kind of foundation. So I, I guess the past few months have been um, me kind of trying to build that and trying to work through values and work through um, what does God say and, and what is uh, kind of an intrinsic way of being. It sounds a little bit abstract, but uh, it's been really, really good to kind of work through that. I feel like it's, it's definitely strengthening my understanding of God and his character, um, which I think is, is important and can get missed. Like if you, if you aren't caught in that time of being like, oh, wait, if I'm not feeling it in my heart, like what does that mean for everything else. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Uh, just before I let you go, um, any particular prayer request that you may have, and I will certainly pray for the ministry of Pioneer Camp, but are there any others perhaps that we as a community of faith can keep in mind as you prepare for this busy season? Can I add a little bit, about, bit more about camp? Sure. Absolutely. Not meaning for it to be a promo, but and I guess this kind of goes along with the prayer thing. So one thing that we do at camp, um, it's really important, is connecting kids to God through uh, the outdoors. Only about, I think about 60% of the kids that come to our camp are unchurched. It's like not a standard Bible camp at all. It's like we go into the mountains and we're like, look at creation. There's no distractions. There's nothing keeping you from actually seeing creation, seeing God. And I think with that, there comes, like sometimes it's hard to balance teaching with kind of like, oh, there's like, I've got this feeling and I've got this spiritual realm. And so actually being able to have this core teaching and truth as a foundation to the more spiritual component. And so I think prayer for not straying into the nature is God, but rather that nature is kind of, is the work of God. Mm-hmm. And so having that truth as an underlying wow. thing, that's definitely a prayer request. Wow. Awesome. For the camp. Yes. Jen, do you have anything? 
Uh, I'll throw some in, I guess. Obviously, with camp, it's all volunteer. We're not paid. Um, so a big thing is recruiting staff. Uh, so we're still a few, short a few people. So if there's any adventurous spirits out there, come and talk to us after. Um, and if there's any adventurous spirits, men, you can come talk to us as well because there are other camps as well. What is the age for volunteering and being a leader at camp? Depends on which camp you're okay. going to be involved in. Little, little kid camps, uh, you don't have to be 18. Our camp, because kids can be uh, participants till 17, you have to be 18. Okay. But uh, there's a little bit of flex. So it's not a hard and fast rule. Um, okay. So that's obviously prayer, is getting the right people uh, into the space because we... We want people to know Jesus, so getting people into that space that allows that conversation and that dynamic, so that's really important. Um, yeah, that's a big one. And uh, also, I guess, uh, for the kids that are, are registered, we have about 49, 48, 49 campers registered right now. So for the kids that are supposed to be there, that are uh, God's preparing their hearts uh, to be there, to hear what has to be said, to experience creation, uh, and to see God in those thin spaces, so... That's definitely a prayer request for camp. Um, just to add on to that, if you're not like into the adventures of the outdoor stuff, there still is there's opportunities. So we've got lots of areas at camp, like at the base, where we need help. So outdoor packing or like kitchen or program, things like that. So if you're you're kind of worried about, oh, I'm like I'm I'm afraid of mountains or something like that. <laughs> it's too bad you live in Calgary. But if you're afraid of actually going out there, there still is opportunity. So do do Wonderful. come to us. Wonderful. Well, let me offer a word of prayer. Can I offer a personal prayer request? Uh, absolutely, awesome. yes, yes. Uh, for me, leading is sometimes challenging, so pray that I can lead well, um, and that I can lead out of my gifts and passions. Um, you don't necessarily see that out of me in church setting, because I sit at the front and I'm quiet and all those pieces, but in this context, this, that's, my, that's where I've chosen to be in, so pray that I can do that well. Um, our theme for our camp is daring greatly, so pray that I can dare greatly in this adventure. So fantastic! Well, will you join me in prayer for uh, uh, for these two uh, ladies who serve in this particular ministry? Father, we do thank you for Jan and Sarah. We thank you for the way in which you have placed a passion and a desire within them to lead and serve uh, at this camp. We ask that not only would you uh, work through their leadership, but you would continue by your spirit to work within their lives. Thank you for the honesty and the transparency of the journey they are on, and thank you for the way in which you have met them at their points of need. We ask that your spirit would indeed set them apart and fill them with all they need to not only be successful in what they do, but to bring glory to you. We pray for the children that is a part of this ministry that are coming Uh, We ask, Father, that they would be met by grace and love incarnate in the leaders that they meet. And so today we ask that you would strengthen them. In particular, uh, be with Jen, give her the courage she needs. Be with Sarah, give her the discernment she needs. And, Father, in everything they do, may it bring glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, Sarah, you missed our great acknowledgement of those who graduated in a program, and uh, we didn't want to miss the opportunity to give you something, uh, even though you weren't here on that Sunday, and you didn't come up, you were just shy? Well, no, I missed the email, and then, um, I didn't want to jump up, because there's only one book, I thought it'd be awkward. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the good thing is, I have the book right here with a card from us, and congratulations (laughs) on that milestone in your life. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Never quite know what I'm going to get with uh, Sarah. Um, 
last week she was banging a drum in church. You never quite know, but I think that's what I appreciate about our church is, is that we're just kind of who we are. Uh, no perfection here from the front. Uh, you know, sometimes we make mistakes, and I hope you recognize that, that, that uh, one of the ways in which our kids learn grace is to recognize that we're not perfect, right? And when we pretend to be perfect, uh, how can we teach our need of a Savior? And so it's important that we recognize that sometimes it's okay to have mistakes and to have inadequacies because it reflects that we are not God, neither do we have the capacity to save ourselves. And so this morning I want to speak to you out of a portion of Scripture that I have been leaning into, and I uh, assure you this morning that nothing I say will be profound. Uh, However, perhaps it is in the simplicity of a question that the message will speak most clearly uh, to us this morning. Uh, I'm going to read a portion of Scripture, and then we're just going to watch a little video clip, and then I'll share with you uh, what God has laid on my heart. 1 John chapter 4, reading from verse 13 to 21, and this is what the Word of God says. This is how we know that we live in Him and He in us. He has given us of His Spirit, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them. And they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us. So that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We, we love because he first loved us. And whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or a sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Let us pray. Father, in these next few moments, through the simplicity of human thought and reflection on your Scripture, I pray that by your Spirit you would speak. Speak to hearts and to minds. May it not only be a feeling and an understanding, but may it be your truth that comes to us through the person of Jesus Christ and the power of his Spirit at work within us. I ask, Father, that you would strengthen me, give me clarity of heart and mind this morning as I share, that I may speak that which is of you, nothing more and nothing less, that this is not about human endeavor or activity, but the God who is present by his Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You know, sometimes there is, I think good preaching is really about creating good questions. And perhaps this morning, as I preach very shortly, um, the profound insight, if there is any to be had in my scripture or in my, in my sermon, comes to us in the form of a question. A question that, since I reflected on the text, has stayed with me, perhaps hauntingly, as I have tried to answer it myself. The question started like this in my own thinking. How has my life as a Christian been shaped? 
Has it been shaped by fear or by the grace and love of God? To put it into context for those of us who are followers of Jesus, and I know not everyone here claims to be a follower of Jesus, I'm very glad you're here, as well as those who follow him. Do we please God so that he would continue to bless us and not punish us? Do we please God because we want to be in his good books, so to speak, or do we live this Christian life out of the understanding and experience that God favored us already in Christ? In other words, another way of saying this is my Christian walk with God uh, lived out of the fear of what I will not have if I stop believing or following or trusting him, or is my Christianity uh, derivative a response to knowing that God truly loves me. Do I know this in the marrow of my bones? If I was to ask you as a group this morning to say, to answer me and tell me what is the right answer, fear or love? And perhaps I should do that. So, okay. So if you believe the right answer to the question, to live my Christian life, I must live it out of love, raise your hand. I know it's very, very simplistic. Uh, If I should ask the same question, to live my Christian life means that I need to be fearful of God and do everything he wants me to do, raise your hand. Nobody. You kind of saw that illustration going there, didn't you? But perhaps what we fail to recognize is that though many of us understand the theology, the, the outworking in scripture of what it means to, to fall in love with the God who loves us, what it means to be saved by grace is another way of saying that, not by our own strength. Very few of us live lives in the security of God's love. Instead, we live out of fear and anxiety, and out of that comes a distant relationship with God and not a personal relationship with God. This is why for some people who observe Christianity from a distance, they do not have any attraction to Christians for what they see is somebody who subscribes to a way of life in their doing, but they fail to see perhaps what needs to happen is that there is a true dynamic relationship with the living God that transforms us so much so that we become people known as a people of dynamic, incredible, almost wasteful love. That even though we know the answer is love, you know, I, I remember being in, 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 uh, in, in Sunday school, and if I wasn't paying attention, which, which happened on occasion, you know, pastor's kid, we dial out real quick. I mean, we hear it at home, we hear it in the church. The danger of being a part of the church so much is you can be, too, be close to truth, but truth doesn't really kind of saturate and doesn't affect you. But I remember being in, being in, in Sunday school, and, and, and you know, when, when, when Miss Norkia, who was my teacher, would ask a question and, and say, Stu... Or in the way she would say it, Stuart, you know. That sounded very South African, didn't it? My accent came through there. And, 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 and I would awaken to the fact that I had just fallen asleep and missed half the lesson. She would say, she would, she would look at me and I can see in her face she's expecting an answer. And I always knew in Ms. Norkir's class that the answers revolved around Jesus and God. And so I guessed And I can tell you honestly, my track record wasn't that bad. Most of the time, I got it right. 
even though I lost track of the question. I think sometimes for us in Christian faith, it is, it is easy to, to say the right thing, but it is so hard to live the right way. It is easy to say that God is love, but it is so hard to have that love actually really, really penetrate whatever hurts, whatever pains, whatever resistance, whatever fears and anxieties, or whatever image or perspective we may have of God. In fact, when I read the commentaries on this particular text, one commentator captured my own thoughts on this. I said, Lord, why do I feel drawn to preach on a text that is so shop-worn? It is so, it is so ordinary for us as Christians to hear that God is love. And when we hear that, it doesn't really do anything for us. It, it perhaps for some of us makes us feel okay or nice that we have a loving God, but it doesn't really transform. It seems to kind of be powerless today to to speak about love. I think part of it is because culture has robbed us. It has infiltrated us. It has co-opted what love truly is. Two things in culture that I think stands as a barrier, and these thoughts are not my own, but what I've read as I prepared this, and I agree with it. Two things in culture that co-opt what love is. The, 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 the first is simply this, this, the sentimentality by which we think of love. We think of love as, as kind of just a, a nice thing that we, we, we do. It's, 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 it's about feelings. You know, it's I'm nice to you and, and you're nice to me and therefore we love each other. There, there seems to be in our culture this sentimentality that, that is so pervasive that that is the strongest characteristic of love in a culture that is so desperate to find love and has no clue what it truly is. So this kind of sentimentality that carries no depth to it, it, it gives us nothing real tangible to sink our lives into and to live our lives by. It's one of the things that I think robs us from a definition of true love as it's presented in the scripture. The, the, the second thing is, 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 is kind of the, the sensuality or the erotic. Sexuality is so highly praised and esteemed within culture and society that it has become the pinnacle of love expressed in our world. We think that to love is to be sexual. Can I say that our identities are not defined by our sexuality? It is defined by the cost of Jesus Christ on the cross. These two things in particular has infiltrated our understanding of love so much so that when pastors like me get excited about God's love, we tend to grasp at something that we can't fully understand or articulate because all definitions of love seems to be arrested by the cultural pervasive perspectives. And so I listened to the commentator to this week. This was a tough week. You know, sometimes I wish that every time I preach, I would just feel super inspired. <laughs> I don't know what that means, mom, but I'll just go with it. It's been a tough week. Not because you're here. No. <laughs> but, I, I get it now. My in-laws are visiting, and, and you know, it has nothing to do with the fact that I'm sleeping on the floor. Uh, <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Uh, but it's been a tough week when it comes to preparing the scripture. In fact, I, I've been struggling with it, and, and struggling because I, I think there's a part of me that wants to say something I haven't heard before. But you know what's interesting? 
is that as I wrestled with the text, I realized, you know, Stu, perhaps it's not telling people something they haven't heard before, but it is telling some people things they have heard before, and hopefully in the rehearing of what has been said before, maybe by God's Spirit alone, something can shift within the heart and the life of those who've heard it, but don't live by it. And so I listened to the commentator, and he said, maybe the best thing any preacher can do that preaches on this text is just capture what God is saying about what godly love is. And so I'm going to give you just three points. Good sermon again, three points. On what God, how God's love is defined in the text. Here's the first characteristic that we see in our scripture. Godly love is love that takes the initiative, takes the first step. If you look at verses 13 and 14, it says, This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. That what what comes across repeatedly throughout the New Testament is that if anybody is to understand the love of God, they must understand this principle, that it is always God who acts first. We do not love him first, but he, through what he has done definitively, historically, and presently, has made a statement about who he is. He acts in love towards you and me long before we respond in love to him. Now, why is that important? I, I thought about that for a little bit, and I thought, and, you know, it's, it's a fun point. Perhaps it gets me through a sermon, and you feel like I've done some work, right? But the more I learned, the more I leaned into this, the more I realized, and I thought about my own life, I thought about how do I tend to love people? And I thought, if you're kind to me, Beth, I'll be kind to you. If, if, you know, I've seen, I've done this experiment. Actually, yesterday we were walking down, uh, you know, by Eau Claire. And Ruth and I, Ruth and I, I don't know if she had this, but I had those, those first, the first encounters with Ruth Ann, we went on a date in Eau Claire. Back in the day, in the 90s. You know, and I still, I, I was still good looking. And, um, and I remember as we walked in Eau Claire, and some of those initial memories of those first dates came to mind, I, I was like, you know, this is cool. I kind of remember this. This was fun. And I pointed out where there used to be a Boston pizza. It's no longer there. And we talked and so on. But then, then we walked, and, and my, my father-in-law and I were walking ahead. And uh, my mother-in-law and I were walking ahead. My father-in-law tra- tracked behind us. And there stood a guy. I, I don't know if this, if you ever see this. There stood a guy in Eau Claire just on the side, you know, the, the grassing playing area with a sign that said free hugs. Seriously, he just stood there. I was kind of freaked out by that. I looked at him and it was awkward because at that point, the moment I looked at him, I made eye contact. So I knew like, okay, you have to now engage the guy. You, you got to engage the guy. You, you kind of got, you know, and he's just standing there and I kind of, I kind of just said hi, looked at his sign, smiled, and then walked on. My father-in-law comes up behind me. He's walking, minding his own business, and there stands this guy, free hugs. He turns around, and my my mother-in-law and I are watching him, and we're kind of, I'm kind of thinking, I wonder what he's going to do. He looks at the guy, and in only the way I've seen he can do it, 
That smile, when you think it couldn't get bigger, got bigger on his face. And he said to this young man, well, I will give you a hug. And he walked over with the sign in front of him, moved the sign, and he gave this guy a hug. And I think the guy was genuinely surprised because the hug was not just kind of a, you know, I'm just holding you because you have a sign. It was a real hug, and he did what he does to me when he hugs me. He put his hand on his back, and he rubbed his back. And then he stood back, and I, I, I was watching this from a distance, and I thought, I thought, this guy doesn't know what just happened to him. He just stood there, kind of like, thank you. <laughs> and I, I share that illustration with you because I think that, that I realize that, that the, the way in which I tend to love is, is, you know, somebody needs to kind of act in a particular way towards me, and then I will respond The scripture teaches us this, that the God who is the God of Jesus Christ acted first to love us so that we could respond to his love. So in other words, it's really important that we understand Christianity not as our effort first, that we begin with with trying to articulate what love is. Because if you look at culture, it cannot offer you a definition of love that will be transforming. It does not come from within us, neither does it come from within the culture. Godly love is only understood and experienced as it comes from God to us. He acts first. How does he act? He acts in two ways. He sends his son and he gives us his spirit. This is why in a culture in which it's so easy to become ambiguous about who God is and how to get to God, it is important that you understand Jesus is the right answer to the way to God, not because we want to be elitist or exclusive, but because Jesus in his life, his death and resurrection represents for us what true love from God truly looks like. If you don't get Jesus, you cannot get godly love. If you don't go through Jesus, you cannot comprehend what love looks like other than through your senses and through your sexuality. But it is through Jesus Christ that God God acts first and shows us love that comes close to save even those who have rejected him. <laughs> you know, there's a, dad, there's a, uh, a story that I've told our congregation so many times. My dad and I wasn't always close. And my dad, you know, was, was a pastor and a preacher and It was only in the last year of my relationship with my dad that we actually really connected. I think, personally, that boys long to know that they are loved by a dad. And I think something something breaks within the heart of a child who does not know the love of a father. Do you know that You know, when I heard after my family's death, people talking about, you know, you know, my my little sister and my and my little brother who died and my mom and they all passed away in a car accident tragically. When they spoke about my dad and they told me things like, You would never know how deeply your your father loved you. And I, I there was a part of me that goes, You're right. He never said it to me. Apparently he said it to a lot of other people. But he never said it to me. 
And this, you know, it, it's true that even today, I, I wish I could speak from a, a sense of, you know, me and my dad got really close, we talked it all out, and I'm all put together today. I, I got to tell you, there's still parts of me that's broken and hurting because of that. And I want you to know as a parent, I try to parent, uh, you know, my, my own children, and I, I don't know how many times a week I tell them that I love them. I've learned that it's good to tell them that you love them when they've really disappointed you. Not only when they're good, by the way. But I believe wholeheartedly that many Christians live most of their lives insecure in the love of God. And here's how Christians try to get the security. We work real hard. Some of us. When we feel we're disappointing God, we, we kind of pull ourselves up a little bit more and say, I got to go to church now. I, I, maybe I'll put some more in the offering plate. Maybe, maybe I'll pray harder. That, maybe that's it. Maybe I'll stop with some of the things that I, 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 I know is not good for me because I, I feel this weight of disappointment. I feel that in some ways I, I got to make myself lovable to God. Here's why this point is important. God loves you not because you and I are lovable to him or have done things right. In fact, this is how it puts it in the New Testament. While we were yet sinful, that is, while we were ignorant of him and rejecting him, he came and died for us. Why? Because he loves us. If such love does not find you, then you will love very conditionally. And you will be very unsatisfied. Because the world loves that way. It loves only when you love it. It loves only the things that it loves. When you are on board, then it is fine. But when you're not, it is not fine. It is such love that finds us first in the person of Jesus. But second, how does this love come to us first? It comes to us through the witness of God's Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to hear this. The Apostle Paul says it this way. That it is the Holy Spirit that testifies with the human spirit that we are in fact children of God. And it is by the Holy Spirit that anyone is able to confess that he is their father. Now I know it's not very uh, first world to speak about the spiritual in this sense. That God has a spirit that indwells us in our lives. It is perhaps mystical to some listening today. To some of us, we're afraid of it because we don't want anything that we don't understand to be a part of our God picture. But can I say this to you? I wish that first John would have gone into detail as to how the Spirit makes me know that I'm a child of God. I wish that, it would, I wish that Paul would go a little further other than just to say, the Holy Spirit testifies with my... What does that mean, Paul? That's what I, I honestly was wrestling with this week. I said, I know that there are a lot of people in our church that if I told them exactly what the one, two, threes are and how to get the Holy Spirit to make them believe that they are children of God, they would pay me big money. But the Bible does not. And I thank God for it because this is why. Nothing comes to us as Christians without putting our hope in God so sufficiently that if he does not come through, he is not true. 
I believe wholeheartedly that the ability to live in the love of God does not come from my endeavors, but it comes only by God himself giving me the assurance within heart and mind. This is why, my friends, this kind of preaching is strange to the academic mind. It is strange to our cultural sensitivities and how smart we've become because what it says to us is you cannot know this God simply by your intellect. You cannot know this God simply because you were born Christian and have a status as a child of God. You must learn to know this God in an abiding way by which he becomes personally known to you through his Holy Spirit. Christianity is not about a knowledge of God. It is of a knowing of God that has a personal experience with the living God. How crazy is it to be Christian? It is that crazy that we say to God, God, make yourself known in this human weak flesh by the power of your spirit. And we believe it. Are you, are you not tired of of Christianity parading itself as morality. I know non-Christian people are fantastic people. I'll trust them with my kids. I know non-Christian people who are as generous as you are, and you are generous people. I, 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 I know certain religions that, that teach us great values. I mean, come on. What makes Christianity Christianity is not that it teaches us to be nice. It teaches us that we can know God in the fullest sense through the power of his spirit. John says it this way, that we may abide in him and he in us. Those who experience the spirit of God in their life, they have a security in knowing that he is Abba and that they belong. I wonder this morning, this is only point one, I have two more to go. I wonder this morning if you have said your yes to God's spirit. If you have said what Jesus teaches us to say, I I surrender all. Do with my life what you please. Fill me with your joy. Give me your presence. You know, the church is not to be anemic, you know. We're not to suffer from an identity crisis, and yet we act like we don't know who we are. It's kind of like the oldest son in the story of the parable of the prodigal son. You know, he says to the father, you didn't even slay a skinny goat for me, but you welcome that sinful son back. I've been slaving for you for so long, he says. You know, Christians, we, we are not to live as slaves. We are to live as sons and daughters of God. That embrace that comes only by the witness of God's Holy Spirit. God acts first, he takes the initiative. But not only does God act first and take the initiative, but this is how we know godly love. God's love is not abstract. Do you know that there's a spirituality today that, that is all about you know, the conceptual and the abstract. And we like operating in that. Do you have a friend you like to discuss philosophy? No problem with philosophy, by the way. Right? You like to have discussions about truth. You like to have reasoned figuring out of things. When you talk, you, you may feel warm and fuzzy about things, but when you leave, nothing has really changed in you. You've just kind of 
impressed each other with your conversation? Have you ever been a part of a church where you feel perhaps that that's how God is presented? You know, it's this mind thing, this, this thoughtful thing, and, and, you know, maybe it's up there, it's just beyond my reach a little bit, and so, you know, it's just that kind of thing. Can I, can I, can I, I want to read something to you, okay? Uh, um, uh, Dr. Gordon Smith, who teaches at Ambrose, the president, I believe, of Ambrose, uh, he has a book called Call to be Saints. Are you still with me? You just wave. I'm almost done. Almost done if you wave. If you don't wave, okay. Wow. That wave was like, I don't know, that hurt. Called to be saints, he writes in a, in a chapter entitled Learning to Love. He states that the Christian idea of love has been, and this is where I got those thoughts from, co-opted by the trends of sentimentality and eroticism. He goes on to say that while affection matters, and we in the church need to recapture a a pure, blessed, holy appreciation for human sexuality. We are so afraid to talk about what it means to be in loving relationships physically because we don't, we're kind of Gnostic. We think that, that we couldn't talk about the flesh in the church. No, God created man and woman to be in union in a covenant relationship and share in a healthy marital relationship of which physical expressions of love are important. Not everything, but important. He goes on to say that while affection matters and kindness is an essential dimension of what it means to love one another, both the sentimental and the erotic can and has easily distracted us from an appreciation of the true nature and the love and the fundamental marks of a relationship that is governed by love. If that is true, then how does love not remain abstract or borrowed from culture? St. Augustine in the 5th century, 4th and 5th century, is a theologian and philosopher. He asked this question, what kind of face does God have? What does God look like? When I, when I read this comment on St. Augustine, I remembered that while I was at CNC, when it was still downtown Calgary, one of the professors had a, had a massive picture, kind of, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, images of different faces of Jesus. And of course, we all are smart enough to know that Jesus did not look Swedish, even though most of the depictions of him praying in the Garden of Gethsemane is of a blonde-haired, steel-blue-eyed man praying. And so the artists from all across the world try to capture in their cultural way what Jesus looks like. So you had an Ethiopian-looking Jesus, and then you did have the Swedish-looking Jesus. The Canadian Jesus, I didn't think they did a good job of him. It's kind of in between. You couldn't really figure it out. I'm not even making that up. And they had all these different images of Jesus. And, I, and as I read this question, what does the face of God look like? My, my mind went back to that image, and I think we, we often strain and stress. But the image, that very image gave me a truth so many years ago that if you are to ask, what is the face of God? What is the love of God demonstrated to us? The answer is, it is that of Jesus Christ. If you want to know what love looks like, then pick this up. And read the Gospels. And see how Jesus treats those who others discards. If you want to know what godly love looks like, then pick this up and read through it when it talks about what it means to love in 
1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you want to know what the, the face of God looks like, then look at the ways in which Jesus, by the power of God's Holy Spirit, brought healing and hope and freedom and restoration. If you want to know what love looks like incarnate, it is presented to us in the scriptures in the life, the death and resurrection of Jesus. But if you want to know what love looks like right now in Calgary in this year, then just as the person and body of Jesus Christ is the biblical and historical record of God's love, the body of Christ, that is the church, is the demonstration of the love of God to a world who does not know love today. You know how love is made incarnate? Through the hands and feet, through the eyes and mouth and ears of those who have said, I belong to him. You see, I think we like abstract love because it's not demanding. We like sentimental love because it's about feeling. We like sexual love for obvious reasons. But Christ love that incarnates itself in the human being says that I cannot live in this frame that I am and when I see need, when I see pain, when I hear cries, when I'm aware of people around me that can receive the grace and hope and love of a person who is, who is filled with God's love, then I am not living true to who I am in him. That God is made incarnate when the church loves in tangible ways, not just with its lips. You ask Ruthann if I love her on a good day, and if I tell her that, Jen, she will say, tells me that all the time. If I took my phone out and it's not on right now, I could show you. I sent her a, a, a little muscular, I think, uh, emoticon with hearts in its eyes last night. That's how corny I am, but it's okay. I'm corny for love for my wife, and, and I sent it to her, to her, and she sent me a little note back to say that she loves me too. Now, while you may all be impressed with how romantic I am <laughs> on this wonderful Mother's Day, my wife would be the first to point out to you that if all I did to send her emoticons to say I love her did not help with the kids, did not do the dishes, or take out the garbage, that she'd sincerely question my emoticon love. She would question uh, whether, in fact, I truly did love her the way that I say I love her. And, and here again, I, I'm struggling to find a new way to say something that so many of us know. Is that our relationship with God? You know, the, the scripture says this, love is made complete when first we receive the love that God has given to us through his son and through his spirit. But you know how love is made complete? When we love our brothers and sisters. 
And you know what Jesus does? Jesus does some crazy stuff. He makes brothers and sisters out of people who don't look alike. Trent, you and I are friends. I don't think we could be more different in our appearance. You have hair, I don't. (laughs) But how many Fridays have we sat together as brothers talking very candidly about our own journey and love for Jesus? And how in some ways we were confessional to one another that we haven't always lived the way we ought to live. And yet, my friends, it is amazing what God is doing in my life through his spirit. This is what he is inviting the church to. That, the kind of love that, that, that doesn't gloss over hard things and doesn't take sin, you know, just dismisses sin. The kind of love that, 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 that speaks truth the kind of love that is infused by the power of his Holy Spirit. The kind of love that, that, that the world is struggling to find in policy and just can't get. Till this day, can I tell you what? You know, since apartheid fell in South Africa in the early 90s, apartheid policies of racial segregation, when I still visit there, I still see the signs of racism, much like we do still see in the South, and is evident now through what is happening in hotspots in the United States. United States has one of the, the most free constitutions. South Africa has one of the most free constitutions since apartheid. See what happens when, when, you know, historically when, when, when a country is so, so, so authoritatively governed that when it eventually breaks that government down, it tends to kind of almost go radically in the other direction. Have you ever noticed that? It takes a time for a country to find its center again, you know? But anyway, here's the point I'm trying to make. Why is racism still allowed? And why is racism still happening in the life of people (laughs) when a country has said, we don't stand for this? Because the power to change, that which is prejudiced within us, does not come from policies outside but only by God, who through his power and his spirit can bring a change inside. It is this Jesus that says things like this. It's okay to say you love your brother, but I want you to love your enemy. Hold on just a minute. It's the same Jesus who says this. He says, I want you to forgive as many times as you want. You know, you know when, he, when he says that, how many times should I forgive? Seven times? He goes, no, 70 by 70. And what do we all do? We calculate how much that is. And how many of us count? You see, that life is not possible in Stu Williams' strength. It is only possible by God's grace. That love that only comes through his spirit. This morning, I, I've gone on too much and perhaps repeated myself. But I wonder, I wonder what, what Skyview could look like when we incarnate the powerful presence of God's Spirit and we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. What, what, what could happen? What can happen if we go so crazy in love? I've got another song reference. You missed that. You guys are all slow. Does anybody know? I think it's Foreigner. Does anybody know the band Foreigner? Am I by myself? Is this a Foreigner tune you can help me out? I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. If you're over 18, you can listen to that lyrics, and if you're married, okay? (laughs) But the Bible tells us what love is. It shows us. 
And if you think Christianity is weak because it loves, ask yourself what kind of love does Christianity teach? If there be anyone amongst us here today that has a problem with his brother and sister, this is what Jesus is saying. You cannot maintain that you love God and still hate others. You cannot maintain to know him and be okay with irreconciliation. Spoke to Alana Schwartz a couple of weeks ago when we were talking, and something that's deep on her heart is, is the Aboriginal people, in particular here within this region. And Alana, I'm putting you on the spot. I shouldn't talk out about counseling. She was counseling me. Um, she was sharing about going and, and, and being on the reserve and and once the romance wears off of trying to be in places of reconciliation, you really start to kind of see whether, in fact, you have the staying power. You know, I, I love when you talk to me so candidly about that. You know, there's a novel idea to the idea of loving those who are different to us. But what it requires is, is far deeper than just niceties. It is hard. I don't, want to, I don't want you to leave here and go, you know, Stuart Jesus said, you know, if you have Jesus loving your life, you know, just go out there and love people, and they're going to love you back, and it's going to be just great. Look what love did to Jesus. And we say we follow Jesus. That's scary. That should be scary to us. You know what Western Christianity has done? It has made it about ending well for all of us. And how strange is what I'm preaching right now sounding to you? But love gives itself so wholeheartedly, so sacrificiously, that at the end of the day, he dies on a cross for you and me. Would you love like that? If you say, Stu, I don't have it in me, you're right, I don't either. But greater is he through his spirit that is at work within me than he that is in the world. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and I thank you for the way in which it's spoken to me. I must confess, I really struggled with this particular text, not because I was trying to, to really find good points to preach, but I, I really was struggling with what it means as I thought about how I live my life. I confess that sometimes I live very anxiously and very fearfully. Will I be okay if I continue to live the way you want me to live? Will I miss out on anything because I'm true and following and desiring to follow you? If I am more generous with what you give me, will I have enough? <laughs> Father, we are all children of you today, and help us to recognize that your discipline and your word that comes to us comes because you love us. Reclaim in our hearts what it means to be the loved people of God. Make us courageous. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.